You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour. Hello, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you all the casual conversations on the shows, concerts, music events, and films that we see and observe throughout our career. We would like to warn you all that this episode will feature spoilers, so if you have not seen the material we are talking about today, we're just warning you, you have been warned, there will be many spoilers throughout this podcast, so you have now been warned. (laughs) Today we are talking about the new Broadway musical, A Strange Loop, that's on Broadway at the Lyceum Theater right now in New York City. Uh, Strange Loop has book, music, and lyrics by Michael R. Jackson. It featured choreography by Raja Feather Kelly and direction from Stephen Brackett. Uh, with 11 Tony nominations this show has, and uh, I think it's the most Tony-nominated show this season. Um, Strange Loop has 11 nominations. They are Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Book. Um, we have Actor in a Leading Role, Jaquel Spivey. We have John Andrew Morrison, actor in a supporting role. L. Morgan Lee, actress in a supporting role. Arnulfo Maldonado for scenic design. Jen Shriver for lighting design. Drew Levy for sound design. Stephen Brackett for director. And Charlie Rosen for orchestration. So those are all the Tony nominations that this has. Um, wow, this was a show. This was yes. a big, big show in many ways. Uh, and I have a lot of thoughts. And our last show before It was our last Tony's. pre-Tony show, I think. Not our last uh, show forever, but No, we got a lot of shows coming up, I'm sure, this summer <laughs> moving forward, but because Tony Awards are very soon. Yes. So uh, we really wanted to make sure we got in and saw this before mm-hmm. the Tony Awards. So what are your overall thoughts on this as a piece? And by the way, it also has, it has won the Pulitzer Prize for drama as well, and I'll talk about that a little so bit many, So many great things. Uh, overall thoughts was that this is a great musical. It's a great um, current musical, I think, and super important to be on the stage right now. I'm very happy that it was on the stage, and I, I really enjoyed it, like my overall. Yeah, I did too. It was it was a really packed house. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of shock moments yes. and gasps. I loved seeing us go on the roller coaster of emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot. I'm I'm feeling like there's things some things I'm laughing at I'm like oh I get I I get this and then something I was like oh I this is new to me and I feel like I was on an up and down roller coaster in a good way of feeling like oh my god I'm hysterical laughing and now I'm like oh I'm really this is sad and 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 I'm now I'm quiet and now the audience is laughing again and I think it was just nice to kind of see this journey um where but really from the lens of a person who is a voice on Broadway that maybe we don't see or hear enough of. And of I think course. that's why this is so important right. now. You know? I think what's really interesting is we have the writing from Michael R. Jackson here. It was, it was done so well in, in the sense of the, the title of the show, a strange loop. And what does that mean to you from the beginning? And also then what does the material in the show really do for you as an audience viewer? And I think like with the strange loop, I went in like, okay, I don't know what this is. Like, is it going to be a strange loop? Like, is it your day to day Mm -hmm. thing? Is it happening? Wash, rinse, repeat, which is kind of like where I feel like we went with the show. But also I think we, we moved into the material here and what he's doing with the material is that 
there's like an uncomfortability factor in mm-hmm. in the show and you you want to kind of laugh in the beginning and then you start realizing like maybe I shouldn't be laughing and it's not just about like you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. I think that it's like okay we're going on this strange loop and I'm trying to I'm trying to put words Okay here. okay well <laughs> I I I to me I feel like what's happening here is you're taking someone's voice and their journey and you're taking the audience for the ride and you don't know who's in the audience and there's all sorts of people coming right. to Broadway shows and you're allowing them to see life from a different perspective from a different lens mm-hmm. something like Rent talked about AIDS in the early to mid 90s. And that was really cutting edge, too, because it wasn't being talked about on a major Broadway commercial stage. And that was really cutting edge. Right. AIDS is talked about a lot in this show, too. And I think that and I think sometimes some of the biggest and best shows are doing things that have never been done before mm-hmm. and what has come before it. And and look at what Book of Mormon does. It really pushes the envelope on language, on sexual um, things and and words that are being used and uncomfortability. I remember seeing that. Wow, this is really whoa, right. you know. So I think that's what this is going. The next step we're going to that. And 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 what do they talk about in this show a lot? He talks about the leading character being an overweight black queer man telling his story about writing a musical in Broadway. That is a very specific lens that we're looking at this through. And you see how his family reacts to something like that, how the general public, as he's an usher in a Disney show, his name is Usher, he is an usher, that's very cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's what you were, uh, what I was trying to say there too, is you took around, I don't know why I was drawing a blank. I'm just like, yeah, that for, it is that exactly what you're mm-hmm. saying. We've had certain topics, and right now I think, black voices want to be heard on the Broadway stage. And what Michael is saying here is like, And also, big, black, queer boys want to be heard because he feels like that's not really represented in the industry. And it calls it out in the industry. They're shouting that out directly to the audience of how do – uh, how does a white audience or a lot of react to something like this? How does a, a industry that's predominantly white or older, mm-hmm. you know, take something like this? Right. Um, and I think that we're sitting there in the audience hearing them speak directly to us in many ways at many times. Of course. And you see the people that are sitting around you and how are they kind of handling the material mm-hmm. that's happening on stage. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, one of the things I wrote down that I wanted to say to you is like, I think there is the big call out here to the theater industry to actually say, okay, um, we have to hear everything on the Broadway stage. It can't just be the typical Golden Age musical theater show on there or the movie to musical production. And now it's like, no, this is great writing that was off Broadway and now it's on Broadway. And there's a a certain Broadway audience out there that writers always feel like they need to cater to Mm -hmm. and this is a show that's saying no 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 we don't need to cater to Mm -hmm. you all the time you can come and see the show but maybe be a little bit more aware and open to seeing something Mm -hmm. like this i thought the way that the show used the voices and the ensemble of the seven of them you speaking it's greek chorus it works in theater it has worked in theater for hundreds and hundreds of years to bring like a, a a chorus, you know, that is going to play multiple roles in the show. That worked really well for me. I thought their vocals, the vocal arrangements of them, their vocal support 
of his solo singing, which is most of the show, right? Yeah. Really worked. They brought a lot of humor. They were all representing different parts of his brain. Who was good? Who was yeah. not? Who was leading him in the right direction? Who was not? That was very interesting to me, showing his journey. And I thought that was a really smart musical theater tool to use to tell the story. Could this show have had 25 people in the ensemble telling these? Of course it could have. It could have done traditional. We've seen so many shows like that. Right. This was it, something different that we didn't, didn't need, need that. It exactly. didn't need it because exactly. it was his thoughts. You know, the, the show really focuses around him. Mm-hmm. And then his thoughts around him. Mm-hmm. It was cutting edge. It was new. It was different. It was so. It was. It was a. It was a way to tell a story that I didn't know what to go in to expect. Right. And I. Re- and I remember feeling like, oh, this is not your traditional book musical, but it's a musical, and the music is good, and it's well written, and I enjoy this, and I'm learning, and we can always be learning as theater goers, as a society, and I'm just learning, and of course, something like this belongs in a commercial space. Right. Um, and and it and it deserves to run a long time and win all the awards because it's doing cutting edge things. I, speaking of cutting edge, I wanted to talk about something really quick. I know we have a few things we want to talk about. I want to talk about Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. That's a very, 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 very big award to receive for a play or a musical for drama. There have only been ten musicals to win the Pulitzer Prize in almost one hundred years. Many many times it's a play. This is the tenth musical to win the Pulitzer Prize. Wow. So I like my. Theater history, y'all. So you're getting a little theater history lesson here. (laughs) From the 1930s to the 2020s, there have been only 10 musicals. And I'm going to name the other nine. And realize what some of these shows have done in terms of when you hear the name of the show, oh, yeah, was that a cutting-edge show at the time? And and by the way, it's roughly every 10 or so years. Lately, it's been a little bit of shorter. But from the 1930s all the way up to like recently, it's been about every 10 years a musical gets pulled. Okay. The first um, musical to win is in 1932, Gershwin's Under the Icing. So Gershwin's, of course, like big name. In the 1950s, um, South Pacific wins the Pulitzer Prize. In the 19, 1960, Fiorello. 1962, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. 1976, <laughs> well, which is a, a different structure, okay. right, for a Broadway show, right? Yeah. 1976, A Chorus Line. Very different structure of a telling a story, right? 1985, Sunday in the Park with George. 1996, Rent. 2010, Next to Normal. Mm -hmm. 2016, Hamilton. And now 2020, Strange Loop. So as you can hear, you know, 2020, 2010, 2016, 2020, those are shorter. But when I hear most of those titles, I say, oh, yeah, what a groundbreaking piece of theater that was. Mm -hmm. How do you – and by the way, Oklahoma won a special Pulitzer Prize in 1944. (laughs) And that was a big deal show, too, at the time. When you see the longevity of musicals winning Pulitzer Prize, which are not many, over 100 years, Mm -hmm. almost, only 10 – you realize, oh, yeah, like, of course, Strange Loop learned from the Jonathan Larsons that came before, learned from the Sondheims that came before. I saw Rent-esque moments in Strange Loop. Mm-hmm. I totally saw – you. Well, there that's, was that's Sondheim I, moments right. in here. There was such – he is so smart, Michael R. Jackson, to have written – this piece and learn. I, there's a lot of company esque vibes here with these vignettes and stylizing it like that. Having this Greek chorus, it just it just well, totally I think that's one of the big things me. that I love too was that he really is so knowledgeable of the theater industry and yeah. he knows how to write a musical. Yeah, and I think that's what was so beautiful because it was like he's taken 
so much from what he's learned, and he's been able to add it in great ways. To his Not just story. throw it into a musical, but add it to his mm-hmm. own story. We, right when we were watching um, Tick Tick Boom, yeah. and and they were in, they're telling the Jonathan Larson character, right? They're like, "Well, just write what you know." Yeah. And then he wrote Rent, and I always find that some of the biggest writers and some of their most successful things were things that they knew. Mm-hmm. When you look at Rent, and that's what he wrote, what he knew. Don't you think this is like exact? Like Chorus Line was from stories of people that he knew. Just tell the story of what you know. Lin-Manuel's big first groundbreaking pieces, In the Heights, that's just what he knew. But what's I think great, that's so smart to write what you know and really put yes, your heart into that. But it works when you write what you know, but it also works because he didn't just write this for himself. Right. Everyone goes through a strange loop every single day. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting about this piece. It's like, yes, what we're watching is the strange loop of Usher. But right, right. Usher is all of us. Right. Usher is everyone because everyone goes through their strange loop every single day. But right. it's just going to be different. Right. And I think that's what's – we all have thoughts. Right. You know, right now you and I have thoughts of what are we going to say next? Right. Are we going to say the right thing? Are we going to say the wrong thing? And – who are we going to please from our actions? Right. And I think that's really what comes down to with Usher is like he's trying to please everyone else but himself. Yeah. And who keeps finishing last? Right. You know? Right. And and the and the influence his family has, the influence, the random thoughts he has on the subway or when he's right. writing. And the, the random person who comes up to him at the Lion King when he's ushering that. But also, how is he supposed to live in society? You know, and I think he takes like, oh, okay, the doctor told me I need to go hook up with someone. Or I'm not allowed to listen to this music because it's white girl music. Mm. Or, oh, I have to write this show because my family loves Tyler Perry and gospel shows, you know. And he doesn't want to do any of that. And 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 of course, speaking of he being Usher is is being played right now. Is Tony nominated? Is um, Jaquiel Spivey? Yeah. But we did not see him. We saw the understudy, who was Kyle Ramar Freeman, who was amazing. Amazing. I mean, you really are carrying the show into understudy. It, it just opened. You know, to to go on. I mean, it's you. You can see that they are working the whole time. It was also a show that only ran about an hour and forty minutes, no intermission, and mm-hmm. it felt like it was a. It felt longer in a good way. I mean, I I felt like it was a really fully formed. When I hear of a show that's only 90 minutes or a little over 90 minutes, I'm like, oh, this must be pretty rushed. I didn't feel like it was rushed. Um, I know we're jumping around a lot to a lot of different topics here, but I think that another interesting topic is the commentary on people within the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. There's multiple references that Usher has of the white gay man Mm -hmm. being the top of this, whatever he looks at this community, Mm -hmm. right? Where, uh, and he doesn't, and he has issues with that, Mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily have issues with his inner white girl and how he resonates in a way, or he does in some way, but he resonates with the inner white girl. So there's different types of people that he resonates with and doesn't resonate with. And I think that's really interesting commentary. If I feel like I kind of received this that way, I think he kind of comes to terms with like, he wants to be the, what, what the inner white girl is, is like, it's like the top of that food chain. Yeah. Like the white feminine, like, uh, feminist movement mm. woman is like, what does that mean? And I think he kind of comes to terms with, no, that's doing the same thing. Right. If I want to be that, right. it's still like everyone wants to get to the top. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, and what is at the top? Yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 what and I also thought there was there was a ton of family influence throughout this too. I thought it was so smart that his family were named after the Lion King characters. Because I was like, they were like, Rafiki this and Simba that or whatever. And I was like, and, and I was like, what? I, it took me a second. I was like, are they referring? Why are they? And I was like, oh, wait, he's an usher on the Lion King on Broadway. And he's also like ushering his family. And he yeah. feels like he's this ringleader sort of usher to these family characters who all have these wild scenes and moments and things that they're saying. And he, in this piece, equated them to the same character names as the Lion King. I thought that was very interesting and very smart now, to write did, it like okay, that. Okay, but did he do that as the show he's writing are the the family's I, names? It, are the well, Because I, a lot of the times we're going through, it's it's like a show within a show within right, a show. Right, and within. that's the loop. Yes. Is that feeling of, like, what, where are we now? Are we in yes. the show or are we in the show's show or the next show's show's yeah. show? Where are we in the process? And he's writing it, right? Because one of the things is like, I don't know if the family scenes are ever real. Or right. if those are... Just his thoughts or if they are just what he's been through in the past. Mm-hmm. I think some of those scenes, like he's the conversations with the mother, the conversation with the father. Some of these conversations I feel like he f- is resonating with. I When you go to the family moments, I, I did feel like the first half of the show we were laughing so much and there was so much humor that then slowly towards the second half of the show it got serious and it got serious and it got serious. I would have appreciated a little more comedy evenly scattered throughout it doesn't have to be perfect like that, but I just thought we didn't really, the last 30 to 40 minutes of the show didn't get too humor-filled. And then when they had that major moment when the set is revealed and there's this huge gospel number about AIDS and all this stuff. And, you're, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, this is that uncomfortability factor. Like, yeah, this is so interesting to me. And halfway through the song, I'm like, what are, what's going on right now? I'm like, am I, did I get lost? I might be lost right now and that's okay. Um, but then, then he was like, this is what I would write if I had to write the Tyler Perry gospel play. And, and the audience applauded there, I think. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we get it now kind of thing. Cause he would be writing it real. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one thing I want to bring up on the set and the directing okay. of this show. It's like, Okay, we sat in the balcony. In the, yeah, we the did not row. have great seats for this. And that's okay. We wanted to just get in and get a seat before the Tonys. We didn't care where we were sitting. But yeah, we did not have good seats for this. And the set was great, but some of the lighting, there was issues with the lighting for me because it kept hitting me in the face wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was almost blinded at yeah. certain times. And a lot of what was happening in the gospel number, because of the way the set was designed and kind of um, just put up there. We miss the whole upstairs half half because of sitting where we're sitting. And I've seen that Lyceum stage before. It's huge. And I don't understand why so much was blocked off for people that were sitting up in the balcony. And it was not directed for me. It was directed for the orchestra. Right. And I don't really understand why well, that happens. And that's just a call out on the director here. It has nothing really to do with the show itself. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this is like, I think directors need to move around a theater to make sure if something's happening on stage, everyone can see it. Because for me, that show was not directed for everyone. Well, in I, that looked, theater. I noticed a few things. The proscenium in that theater is way, 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 way high. 
So the proscenium goes up as high as we were up there, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm like, okay. And the first, most of the show, there's half of the stage is cut off. It's it's truncated. Yeah. And I understand that you're trying to keep this small feel, right. but then you have to realize when you're transferring from an off-Broadway house or in regional theater to a Broadway house, all these Broadway theaters are huge. You can make it feel intimate. In other ways, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're sitting upstairs and you there's a mezzanine and a balcony in that theater. It's not just one level upstairs. We're upstairs. There's a lot of people up there. It's not like yeah. it's two rows. You know, when you go, you know, but I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I've taken a lot of directing classes. One of the things I have learned in my directing training is you need to move around a house and see this place. Obviously, yeah, do you need to only cater to the people upstairs? No, you want to cater, obviously, to the people who spent a lot of money to sit downstairs. I get that. However, I have seen shows where I I've sat upstairs and I felt just as intimate with what was going on and I was way upstairs well, versus they, downstairs. Well, yeah, and everything happened so... It, it almost happened like everything kind of set-wise happened in the middle of the stage. So when you cut all of that off, I, my whole visible line was mm -hmm. taken away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, company had a very similar size, uh, very similar set, and it wasn't cut off. No, it wasn't. And the orchestra was actually upstairs. So we were actually up they're looking at them across when we were sitting up there, right? So it's it's, just, you have to invent the stage to, you can keep it intimate in these big Broadway houses, but yes, you have to move around different levels and different seating areas and make sure that all of your audience can see everything. And uh, I, I did feel like it was so condensed yeah. that we were, we were getting a lot of things cut off way up there. And I don't feel that for every show. And it yeah. shouldn't be yeah. about how much you paid for a ticket either. Cause yeah, if yeah, we yeah. spent $80 on those tickets, it's no different than someone spending $160. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, and I think uh, that is an issue with some some of these smaller shows. You know that, that I'm just saying really it's, it's something to be mindful. I mean, like you said, a, a question to the director: Did you move around the the theater when you mm -hmm. were um, directing it and yeah. coming up with the set yeah. ideas? And, and, I, and I, like I said, we've sat upstairs in a lot of things, and I've had no problems. So I feel like, and even in that theater, I've sat up there and seen shows that I've had no problems. So right. I feel like. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I understand that you want to keep this flowing and moving throughout. These different scenes do quickly move, and you want it to not be like massive scenery changes coming in and out. But th and then that it big set comes it in at the end it because a right. director can direct the actors to do anything on that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even need a set. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. But when you're creating something for me to see, and I can't see it now. Yeah. It's, it's an issue. Well, especially when upstairs there was the casket, right? And there was someone's name written, and we couldn't even read who they – that's what I think took me so long to understand that song. Are we talking about the funeral of him or the right. cousin, or I believe it was a cousin who had died in the family earlier? Of AIDS. Yeah, right. So I was like, oh, no, they're singing about him. Okay, wait, what are those three doing up there? And it, it was like this big piece of scenery that came out so late in the show. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. So it just – right, right. So, but – And uh, – Go, kind of, let's move back into the score a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book, mm -hmm. And like, let's talk about this actual, I love the score. Yeah, I love the score. I thought all the music worked really well. And, yeah. and what's funny is like, some may say, oh, well, it seems a bit repetitive at times. Well, that's but the purpose of the loop. Right, it's the loop. Yeah. It's the loop. And it's so catchy throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. We were listening to the soundtrack. Uh, it's not fully out yet. But yeah, some of I was songs. like, oh, this is really catchy. And you hear more of the words because... 
a lot of what's happening on the stage is happening very fast. So sometimes you may miss things. And some of it's so funny and so clever. It is very fast. And there was a couple of times I was like, oh, I, I, I got to listen to this recording and get every word that's being spoken and sung here because there's a lot of fast movement throughout. And I, I did think that the book was just done really well. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah it's one of the strengths for me of the whole piece is the book. Yeah. Sure. Sometimes I feel like we're seeing shows lately and it's like, oh, the, but the book was bad. And yes, yeah. I was like, oh, no, the yeah. book was really good. Yeah, and it's nice to see that because sometimes a... these shows just completely forget about the book. Right. I also really liked um, L. Morgan Lee's performance. I thought she was so funny throughout the whole piece. Mm-hmm. John Andrew Morrison was really great throughout. Those are the other Tony nominees in the mm-hmm. piece. Um, everything that was Tony nominated is worth deserving, I think. Um, totally. You know? I, I want to go back to one thing we were talking about in the beginning here and – um, go back to this call out to the theater industry because I feel yeah. like this is kind of like what a lot of the material is in here and it's kind of like the perfect show to do this. But in this show, there there's language, there's a lot of sexual conversations happening and a lot of people, that's what I feel like makes people uncomfortable. When you start using bad language and you, um, and you start talking about sex, people immediately probably put a wall up or something like this. But do you think this material is going to help the industry? Like, is, is there a call out happening where people are going to be like, oh, okay, let's actually think about things here. Or because of some of the stuff in the show, people are going to overlook it. It's going to be overlooked. No, I think this is a direct call out to some of the problems in the industry. And I think there's a lot of a. to me, there's a difference between Yes, an article can be written about it. Yes, there can be spe- award speeches made about it. There can be people writing about it and say, but to perform it live eight times a week on a stage for thousands and thousands and thousands of people and speak your message through your art form, that is power. That is strength. And I think that is a direct call out to an industry and its problems in a really strong way. Well, I think it's major. Yes. The show is on Broadway. That's what I'm saying. It's here. It's out there. It's Mm -hmm. big. It's queer. And I'm talking about random like Mary Sue sitting in the middle of the audience and she goes and sees the show kind of with no context. Mm -hmm. And is she and but she has walls up about, you know, sex and things like that. Is she going to leave that theater and say, wow, I'm changed. Or is she going to be like, that was really rude that they said the F word on stage. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get a mix (laughs) of people feeling a mix of different things. You hope you can change minds in a way. You hope you don't know what people are going to react in some ways as this runs longer and longer. I mean, I hope people are more open. Yeah, for sure. sure. Because I mean, there is a, and there is a, there is a sex scene on stage where they're actually having, or, you know, they're, they're portraying a sexual, Intercourse, and, I say, and that's good. a moment too where people might feel uncomfortable, regardless of how it's happening. Anytime sex is on stage, right? But anything, I say you know? bravo to them yeah, because yeah, it yeah. needs to be. Because yeah. guess what? Ten years ago, or however many years ago, when they did it on Spring Awakening, yeah. people people Same were thing. uncomfortable, yeah. but they watched it. Yeah. And guess what? It's happening here too. Well, and that's what I, I was talking about earlier was uncomfortable uncomfortability in the theater. 
Is that okay? Yeah, I think it is. I think you can go to, we had saw the music man six days prior to this. Mm-hmm. How amazing of an art form in an industry when I can go see the music man and I can see a strange loop in the same week and feel very different things uh, of emotions, of learning, of educating and ent- entertainment, enjoyment in two very, very, very different shows playing a few blocks away from each other. That is the magic of this industry. Yeah. And that's what I think is amazing is yes, you can be really comfortable in the theater and you can be really uncomfortable in the theater and learn from the uncomfortability learn from those gray areas learn and be educated and and especially because when more shows keep coming out that are similar to a strange loop we start getting more comfortable mm-hmm. as right. an audience we right. start going because guess what as audiences we need to be a little bit more like okay, I'm ready to go see a think piece today or a thought piece on something that I'm not familiar with because that's why I go to the theater. Not because, oh, I just want to go to the theater to be entertained. But I, but I think that shows that start uncomfortable but then over time eventually become comfortable, that's in a way a success story. Yeah. I had someone recently tell me, rent's like safe now to do anyway. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, Oh, high schools do rent. I'm like, yeah, they have like a high school version of it. I'm like, yes, like rent... I remember when Rent was so cutting edge and you were like, oh my God, you know, and now Rent is just, and there's nothing wrong with that. In a way, you've gotten to a point where those subject matters, I mean, the racism that's talked about in South Pacific, when that won the Pulitzer, that was a big deal in the 50s. Now, South Pacific, like, South Pacific, like, you know, <laughs> so I'm saying like this, we've learned so much from these shows. And when you see something, will 20, 30 years ago come, come from now and we'll be like, oh, Strange Loop. Yeah, it's a great piece. Yeah. Well, you, you, well, and everyone's still saying that now. But what I'm saying is how do we make audiences more comfortable with subject matter that will then make them more comfortable in their everyday lives? Let the art form teach and educate. And I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great. Exactly. So. Oh my goodness, we're out of time here. Look at this. We're talking about all these things and just flying by. All right, conclusion. Conclusion thoughts. Go. Conclusion is I really enjoyed the show. I really enjoyed the material that's being talked about, sung about, all of these things that are here. I think this is a show for the future of Broadway. I think as audience members, this is what audiences are going to be demanding more and more of because it's so good it's so it just makes you feel and you know me i'm a big theater going where i feel something from a piece and i'm not saying that's not from stuff from behind i'm saying that the future should make me feel Mm -hmm. you know and i think there's going to be so much more like this let's make sure there's room at the table the broadway table for every person Mm -hmm. and every voice let the voice be heard let the revivals come let the plays and the musicals come let the new dark cutting edge things come let the comedies come let the tragedies come let it all come to the front and let everybody see everything sometimes i hear when people say i just saw wicked for the eighth time i'm like that's great i love wicked but there's like 41 broadway theaters and countless off broadway theaters learn if you love theater there's so much to see and learn and this really taught me mm-hmm. a lot of the way i as people perceive themselves and life and 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 i was entertained at the same time and i learned a lot it's a really really great piece and everyone really should be going to see this i mean i'm telling you right now i think it's going to win a lot of tony awards and i think it's going to be a tough ticket mm-hmm. i do think it's it's not in the biggest probably it's in a big house but it's not in the biggest one 
Um, I think tickets are going to be tough, yeah. and, and rightly so, because it deserves to sell out every night. So. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today. Make sure you check out at Half Hour Podcast on Instagram, t- uh, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all those places for the latest. Um, we're bringing some more pop episodes back in in the few weeks. We have the Tony Awards coming, so we'll have a big episode coming up out on that. Um, plus more shows coming. I know this summer already we have some new shows announced mm-hmm. for the next Tony season, which starts basically now and goes until next spring. So uh, we're looking forward to bringing more conversations on that. But yeah, Two Worlds Entertainment at Half Hour Podcast. Go check it out. Signing off for now. Until next time, I'm Richie. I'm Joe. Okay, saying ta-ta. <laughs> Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.